This podcast is dedicated to all the widows across the world, in Africa and in Kenya. We start off with Dorcas Moga Odumbe, who is the gender and education editor at Nation Media Group. Hi Dorcas, today is International Widows Day and we value you. How are you today? I am fine, Mora, and I'm excited that such a day exists because widows actually deserve it. It reminds them that they matter to the society. This is a dedication to all the widows marking today's International Widows Day. In December 2010, the United Nations General Assembly set aside June 23rd as the official day the world stands its attention to the plight of widows, shares possible solutions to their predicaments, and reignites commitments to safeguarding their rights. More than a decade later, widows are still being evicted from their matrimonial homes, their property taken away and investments disrupted and they are physically and verbally abused. In some cases, in-laws and elders force them to marry someone else either from the clan or outside in order to retain their rights to their husband's property. They also feel lonely even as they struggle to keep their property. This takes a toll on their mental health. Yet, globally, countries are bound by the Convention to end all forms of discrimination against women, an international treaty that protects all women, including widows. Kenya is a signatory. Regionally, in 2003, the African Union adopted the Protocol to the African Charter on Peoples and Human Rights on the Rights of Women, popularly known as Maputo Protocol. This protocol states that widows should live in a positive cultural context, free from any form of discrimination, and the government is mandated to ensure that happens. Kenya ratified the protocol in 2010. Although Kenya has no specific laws on widows' rights, it has enacted some that safeguard the right to inheritance, land, and property ownership. This includes the Marriage Act, the Land Act, and the 2010 Constitution. In 2021, it also launched a loan products for widows under the Women Enterprise Fund named the Mini Loan. The Mini is a Swahili word that means value. This therefore translates to a loan facility that values the financial needs of widows. Widows continue to suffer. But who is a widow? International treaties, regional protocols, and domestic laws have not given their own definition of a widow. But the Oxford Dictionary defines a widow as a woman who has lost her husband by death and has not remarried. So, in this age, we need to be cognizant of the need for a shoulder to cry on. How are you, Dorcas? Mary, Alice, Rosemary, Rosaline. To all the widows anywhere in the world, how are you today? I am Mora Oberia and this is Nature Reports Podcast.
So today I'm in Siaya County and I'm meeting widows from Rarieda sub-county. Siaya is, is a county in the Lake region part of Kenya where the Luos live. And I'm meeting widows who have come together. They have formed a group called Amalo Widows Group and there are 28 members right now. And these widows are saying no to oppression. They are saying no to violation of their rights. They are also building their financial independence through the group. They do table banking. And they are also giving each other emotional support. So I am meeting the women at Mary Kiri's home. Uh, Mary Kiri's home is in Akele South Village. And she is the chairperson of the group. Her husband died in 2021. Um, he was a retired army officer. And so he died one day. He was just basking outside and he he died um, they had 12 children together what has changed in your life after the death of your husband mimi niliingia widows group kabila bwana yangu hajakufa sasa nilikuwa najua right yangu mm. mm-hmm. niliingia kwa widow on 2015 nilikuwa nini a widow leader I was a leader even before my husband died, so I knew my rights. I joined the widows group in 2015 and the members chose me as their leader. I knew all my rights. No one would dare cause me trouble. We make sisal ropes for sale. And Rosie heard about our work and she sent her associate to check out what we do. In the process of making the sisal ropes, we met Rosie sent another woman to see our work. We were many then, about 48, but the members were elderly. Some in their 60s, others in their 80s. They dropped out and the number finally reduced to 28. Later, Rosie mobilized a huge forum of widows where she sensitized us to our rights. Since then, we've become stronger. She taught me to be strong, not to allow in-laws to in- to take away my property. She told us to report any attempts at disinheritance to Nyumbakumi members and clan elders, then to report to the assistant chief and chief to follow up on the matter. Without a doubt, the widows have been empowered. I speak to some to hear the stories of victory. This is what they had to say. My name is Sarah Onyango. My husband died in 2011. Since I joined the group, I have learned a lot. Through making sisal ropes for sale, I have learned how to be financially stable. We share our day-to-day challenges and encourage one another. This has helped me remain strong and resilient. Whenever we meet, I feel at peace. They are my friends. I can open up to them. I am Mary Akinye Odiambo. 
I joined the group in 2015 after the death of my husband. My husband left me with children and this group has been my saving grace. The group has helped me raise money to educate my children. We make crops and invest in the income in table banking. Thereafter, we take the loans to pay school fees for our children. But one thing I'm most grateful for about the group is that I've come to know my rights. No one can take away my property. I know how to defend myself if someone tries to do so. My life turned upside down from the day my husband died. My in-laws wanted to take away my land. In the community, some people were laughing at me. Others came to throw insults at me at my homestead. I wondered what I had done wrong. What came to help me is this group, through which I learned my rights. No one can dare harass me anymore. Now, I'll report to the authorities anyone who tries to step on my toes. Unlike before, when I just cry. In my conversation with Mary Carey, the chairperson of Amalo Widows Group, she widely mentioned Rosie. Rosie that she is referring to is Rosalind Orwa, the founder of Rona Foundation, a widow's rights organization based in Siaya County. I looked for her to find out how she has empowered the widows. And this is how our conversation went. My name is Rosalind Norua, founder and director of the Rona Foundation, a widow human rights organization working with rural widows in Sayre County and with chapters in 17 counties in Kenya. We are here at Rona Center. Uh, Rona Center is um, a rural grassroots based uh, community center, uh, resource center. <clears throat> that aiming to be an education hub, a climate smart uh, center, and uh, with a future digital school. So that's where we are. And uh, thank you, Nation Media Mora, for coming. Thank you. So when did you launch the foundation? <clears throat> so the foundation largely started in 2008, when I lost my husband during the post-election violence. And... Um, Largely, I began by hosting a group of eight widows in my house because uh, I had come across uh, the traditional practices in widowhood and I felt challenged that they were against my dignity and rights. So at that time, I just wanted a safe space. Uh, you know, as a childless widow, uh, you know, I've been through a brutal divorce. Now I was widowed, so I was carrying a lot of stigma. So I was looking for a group of women who would understand and help me heal, you know, support each other to heal. So we were eight in the beginning in my living room. And then uh, the foundation came three years later when that number grew from eight to 76. And women now used to come with their children. Then social media came and I started blogging about the issues I was experiencing. Uh, relatives refusing to shake my hands because I hadn't been sexually cleansed you know, uh, property disinheritance and the fights for uh, who really wanted to take my car, my in-laws and my relatives, and just all the fights and the discrimination that just came with the stigma that even came from my own maternal family, that uh, just by being widowed, I was the only one that at that time had been through the brutal divorce. I was the only one in my family that had now gotten widowed. So I was carrying the bad omen of shame, silence, shame and stigma. <music> 
So stigma was all over me. Disinheritance was all over me. Harmful widowhood practices, uh, you know, uh, relatives of my late husband wanting to uh, inherit me so that I could uh, sire children to name after him. Yet I'd lived with infertility all my life. I, I lived with endometriosis and I'd been through almost like four surgeries trying to, you know, ovarian cyst, ectopic pregnancy, more ovarian endometriosis uh, surgeries. And so I had also that other personal burden. So at that time I wanted a space and I wanted to identify with women who had also similar stories. Then uh, in 2012 is when this Verona Center was launched through my mother, my late mother, who now when women heard me on radio, and radio picked me because of social media, how I was uh, communicating widow, widow stories because I was communicating from an angle of rights and dignity and questioning where were policies, where were interventions, where were government programming, where were other you know, movements that I could align to, that I could learn from. So I think that that became an appeal to, to media, especially gender, gender reporters. And that is how I got to start being invited on the radio. And I said, I don't want to tell a warrior story. And then women in my village here heard me and they would converge at my mother, who was already a philanthropist. She was already feeding orphans, caring for orphans, supporting other women. And so I just added a, a burden of care to her. And so later on, she would say that uh, these children are not my responsibility. They came with the widows because you went on radio. So take charge of your responsibility. So because the, the numbers grew so much at my mother's home, she sort of became the champion for me to secure this land uh, with my brother so that uh, we could find a space because my family were also complaining. The numbers were so huge. There were no meal times that were just for family. There were no personal time with, with them and my late, my mother who was also elderly. And so my family started to feel that uh, the crowd there was becoming too big. So that's how my mother led for, uh, you know, uh, championing for me to buy this land. And of course, as a widow woman, it was almost impossible to buy it. Uh, the widow who sold it said, I want you to take care of me and take care of my, because I lost all my children, Mama Susanna. But I also want you to bury me when I die. But you can't buy land alone because everybody's telling me there's something wrong with you. So you have to come with your brother to be part of the purchase of the land. So even at that point, I couldn't even buy land alone with my money. So that later became another conflict. So now when I wanted full ownership, that became a serious big conflict for seven years. So my brother was not also willing to let go. So then I, Mura, I have gone full circle of widowhood full circle from stigma disinheritance uh, you know stigmatization you know land rights you know uh, just being set apart by the burden of being widowed and being childless and also being divorced i have gone full circle i i, I can smell stigma 10 feet away I know how it looks like, I know how it sounds like. Because when you've lived in something for so long, you can actually sniff it out. Uh, people can give you um, a look, but they can't hide their vibration around you. So I'm, I'm always able to, to detect the vibration someone is giving. Are they accepting? Or is there something deep that is still inhibiting full acceptance? So those are the lessons I learned. So starting this facility, largely became uh, an eye-opener. It became like a research space for me, where I understood widowhood, 
and where I also found women like me, women living with infertility, women who had lost all their children. <coughs> they had had their children, but now their children were dead. <laughs> so they were more or less like childless women also, women living with HIV, women living in abject poverty. When we came here 10 years ago, houses, there were grass-touched houses in this village, dilapidated, falling apart. Women who now that I was also considering myself vulnerable, I was the most privileged. I had education, I had a skill, I had a business, and maybe I still had my supportive mother, who was also widowed. Some of the women here had literally nothing, no education, no support system, no intervention, no, no language to, to maneuver through life and with a fallen house. So the first seven years of our work here, was just about building dignity widow houses. And I think so far we've built like around 68. In fact, it's from us that Utienda Molo learned from. I told him, there's nothing, if you do nothing, just build widow houses. It goes a long, long way. This is Alfredo Tieno, a village elder in Gombe Angasa in Alengo Osonga sub county in Sierra County. Whenever there's a public meeting, I tell the people that everyone has a right, including the elderly women. Years before, people didn't know their rights. A widow would be told, Your husband has died. Go away. You are barren. She carries her belongings and leaves. Presently, I'm on the front line advocating for the rights of women and girls. Each one of them must enjoy their rights. I've taken the lead by showing them the way by advocating my daughter's land. I have five daughters. Should things fail to go their way, they'll have a place to build a home. Judy Kitao, a lawyer and a human rights expert who heads Equality Now's regional office for Africa, tells me that cultural norms, to a greater extent, are steeped in gender stereotypes and discrimination. As such, women are viewed as subordinates and men considered as custodians of family resources. In the absence of the male representative, she loses her capacity to own property. Uh, Hello. Hi. Hey. So I'll take at most 10 minutes. Okay. I'm doing a story on widows and widows' rights across Africa. Mm -hmm. I've already spoken with around 30 widows. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and one thing that stands out is that they still go through this ritual, they go through this inheritance, all those things. Yes. So I basically have like two questions. Why is it that widows have go through these traumatic experiences even when we have protective laws? Okay, I would start by saying um, cultural norms and practices um, to a great extent are steeped in um, gender stereotypes and, discrim and discrimination. By that I mean you find that um, women in society are generally viewed as being less than their male counterparts. 
And so you will realize again that uh, for that reason, um, the man will be the custodian of the resources for the family. Um, and, and so as a result, and if we're just now just talking, for example, about the property that is inherited bit, um, the man being the custodian, the woman has no right to, to not only have custody over the property, but to be in control of it. Um, so the woman who is a widow is the most vulnerable because she's no longer under her father's roof and now doesn't have a male representative being her own husband. And so it means she is viewed as not even having the capacity, therefore, to own the property or be in charge of the property with regards to custom. When we have laws, legal frameworks that try to rectify this situation, it is critical for two things to happen for that law to have effect. It's one, for that law to has to be enforced, meaning that women who then are disinherited or denied their rightful property, um, should it should be restored, they should be given the property, but more importantly, um, the persons who interfere with the property or who prevent women from accessing property uh, or who even interfere with existing wills where, for example, the deceased person has left the property should be punished and treated as culprits so that it sends a correct message to society. And so there should be enforcement of laws restoring the property to the women, but also the persons interfering should be prosecuted. The second part has to do with still culture and practices, as we know, um, that uh, you know subsist whether or not you know women are widows, for example, FGM, and even now wife inheritance and other practices that are degrading and uh, inhuman to women. And so, in the same same spirit, or in the same way, where you find with regards to property, there needs to be enforcement of laws. Similarly, there needs to be enforcement of laws when it comes to such practices, because those practices stand in violation of many constitutions and in violation of many laws um, that exist. So it's important for them to be enforced. Um, and then thirdly and also critically, there needs to be community awareness and, um, you know, uh, capacitation of, of community so that they know that it's it's not only a crime, but they also know that it's, it's a harmful practice to these women. Um, explaining in terms of, for example, diseases that are spread, but also it really does amount to rape any sexual engagement with a woman outside of her consent is rape. And so inheriting her for that purpose will inevitably amount to rape. Okay. Thank you so much. That is very, very elaborative. Um, are there best practices that we can learn or is there any country anywhere around this world that has been very progressive in protecting the rights of widows? In, not as such, but I would want to reference the Maputo Protocol. Um, you see, um, the African Protocol on the Rights of Women um, is one such law that goes into detail and actually speaks about women, including widows. There's hardly any other legislation globally that goes to that detail or that level where it recognizes the various categories of women and their various vulnerabilities. And so you'll find that the Maputo Protocol does speak to this and does provide that women shouldn't be disinherited, women should be protected from harmful practices, and women should be should live in, in, a, in a positive cultural context. It doesn't even leave that as blank. It gives exactly what such positive cultural context is so that we don't then force on women culture or practices that really are, stand stuck in the face of their rights. And so the question then becomes, countries should ratify or domesticate the Maputo Protocol so that it's part of their laws and in so doing ensure that there does exist a solid legal framework to protect them. So then the issue becomes, 
advocacy towards ensuring that the laws are implemented. Um, currently, there's I can't say universal ratification of the protocol in Africa. Um, there are a few countries that are yet to ratify and domesticate it, meaning there's still gaps in law. Uh, but that instrument immediately comes to mind when we talk about protection of women because it does speak to the widows. Okay. Um, I'm done with my questions. Unless you have anything you feel you need to clarify or emphasize? Mm, uh, not, not immediately, no. Um, just, just to say that um, violation of women, violation of women is a continuum. Um, just by virtue of their sex or their gender, if you like, this continuous violation of women. And so it's important to recognize the different categories because one can assume that it's only, for example, young girls, it's only married women that we're talking about matrimonial property, or it's only um, school-going girls who are banned from school. But you can see that it continues in whichever form because it's steeped in discrimination and, and misogynistic um, ideologies. So it's steeped in that and we need to address that at, at its root cause so that we, we're not just addressing violations amongst different categories. We need to address the categories, but we also need to address the root cause of violation of women's rights. Okay, thank you so much. All right, bye. Maida Nyawade, the Director of Youth, Gender and Social Services, supports her view and so as the widows mark this day one thing remains to be addressed ending all forms of violence against them my name is maida nyawade mm -hmm. i am the director of youth affairs gender and social services in the county government of CIA. Mm -hmm. yes tell me a little bit of what are the challenges widows around CIA county the, widow, the, the situation of widows is very disturbing for us as, as a county government. And uh, luckily for us, the governor is very concerned about uh, uh, this group of people as, as a special interest group. We are aware of the challenges they go to, through on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly on the issues of uh, just inheritance of of their family property, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to be a target for many households. They think our widows have no right to, uh, to, to either the land or the property that was acquired during uh, the marriage. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, in many cases, gone through barazas where widows are reporting that the land has they've been sent away from the land, uh, from the family house, or uh, uh, livestock that was previously for the family has been sold by by the in-laws and they never seem to have adequate protection apart from the chief and apart from the elder elders of the village mm -hmm. we have not yet found a grip to protect the women from uh, this kind of behavior because by the time it re it is reported then it has to go through the legal process which again in the meantime the widow and the children are suffering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I met someone who told me we have never had any a pro bono mechanism they can follow through. Mm. And another one told me, if they never had, where could I get the money from? Yeah, I, I, I know that uh, we, we are in, in a group called Intergovernmental Gender Technical Working Group, mm -hmm. where partners uh, intervene 
depending on the location where the case is. And we, we, we always communicate with one another. This is happening, say, in Nalego Songa, in this particular location. Who is there? Can they do something? And they have taken up those responsibilities very well and supported them through the process. We have a paralegal team who give that support. In which areas around this country, around the county, where things seem to be changing for the better? What could you say? I, I can't say changing for the better because uh, every time they come to us because uh, as a directorate of social services they believe that we should be able to solve those immediate uh, issues and intervene but uh, the success stories are just where say an organization say like Rona Foundation has followed through and they have worked very hard mm-hmm. or uh, the Widows Project in, in Uganda have followed through but uh, in terms of going down, I think in such, in such, in, until such a time that we are able to take these cases to prosecution and people get arrested, we cannot be talking about success yet. But uh, the intention is there and uh, the governor has got a very keen ear to see what we can do to save this situation, whether it's in terms of legislation or uh, resource allocation. And uh, when they come here to us, they say, I've been sent away, my kids have been sent out of school, my my husband's brothers have done ABCD. We don't have a kit where we say, okay, now this is what we are going to do. So that is the problem Mm -hmm. Uh, for us. There's no immediate intervention. So we have now to go through the the frameworks of uh, local administration, we go through the processes up to completion. It takes a toll on the women, I I must say. Um, Rosalind mentioned something about the charter. Could you kindly mention what then the government has done in terms of policy? Yes, uh, Rosalind Orua of Rona Foundation uh, developed a widow's charter, which she presented to the governor even before he came to office. And the governor expressed very keen interest to, to following and seeing how we could uh, implement that charter. Mm -hmm. So there is the widow's charter that uh, actually is on my desk here. Mm -hmm. We have also uh, widow's social protection policy Mm -hmm. that was developed by uh, Free Pentecostal Fellowship of Kenya. Mm For, for the county? For the county. They, they, they developed that document, uh, Widow Social Protection Policy. Mm-hmm. When was this? So, uh, they gave it to us last year. Mm. So we have it in our, in our custody. But uh, our plan was that, uh, can we find a way to synchronize, to look at Widow's Charter, and look at uh, Widow's Social Protection Policy mm-hmm. and see how we can match these two documents and come up with a a document that is rich and yet covers everything that the widows want covered. Mm-hmm. Because we also have a county sexual and gender-based policy, mm-hmm. which was also developed by the Intergovernmental Technical Working Group. Mm-hmm. So is it we, operational? Has it been adopted? No, it has not been adopted. Okay. So it is still a document that needs to be uh, activated. Okay. So we have those three documents and uh, we... I held a meeting this month, March, in March, mm-hmm. on the 22nd of March, with the Rona Foundation mm-hmm. and with also Free, Con- Free Pentecostal mm-hmm. Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
an officer from the legal department of the county mm-hmm. and the head of of, of, of this department, the, the CECM for education, who is in charge of uh, social services. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went through those documents to see what needed to be strengthened and how we could match. So mm-hmm. we spoke mainly about the widow's charter and the widow's social protection policy. Okay. And we agreed that uh, the contents, some of the contents of the widow's charter would be incorporated in the widow's social protection policy. Mm-hmm. And we agreed that we would uh, get a policy expert to walk us through mm-hmm. the process of merging those documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where we are at now. Mm. So, I mean, the policy cannot work on its own. Do you have a plan to start then the process of coming up with the bill? Uh, we, we want to finish this phase oh, yeah. first, mm-hmm. yes, before we can go to the next steps. How many widows are here? Do not have the number of head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it documented somewhere, but I don't know have it off head right now. Mm-hmm. In just one sentence, then, what is your hope for the future for the widows? And not just this county, but across the country. I hope uh, it's, it's also good that you are talking about the, the, the policy cannot work without a bill. But even in my t- interaction with uh, people, we are we are concerned about it's it's, it's one thing to have a policy and to have uh, the legal framework. It's another thing to deal with the practices that perpetuate the plight of widows in this county. So my my. My concern is how then do we deal with the issues of cultural practices that have a significant bearing on how widows are treated. So they have no regard for policy, they have no regard for the legal frameworks. What carries the day is the cultural beliefs. Mm -hmm. So until such a time that we are able to break these barriers, because education doesn't seem to have helped at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was talking to some of my colleagues and we were talking about uh, education is not helping uh, policy versus tradition. How then do we prevail upon uh, the tradi- traditional cultural practices? Because even the church will say this policy, these traditions have been outdated. But they would still want to follow them when they are doing uh, certain things. Uh, the, the planting season is about traditions about sex, it's about killing chicken, it's about, you know, things like that. So, for me, the future really lies in the eradication of those harmful practices. Before you came, I interviewed one person about their experience, and they told me that uh, one of the things that is worrying also is that Say like when your husband dies, you expected to sleep with a man, mm-hmm. and you expected to sleep with a man without protection. That part of the deal is there must not be protection. So again, the issue of HIV uh, transmission comes in there, uh, self-esteem and and also lack of control of your own your own uh, destiny. Mm-hmm. But I am hoping <laughs> for my county. I'm hoping that. Uh, our governor was expressed commitment on uh, marginalized groups, among them the widows, is going to be more affirmative in terms of uh, resources for intervention, for awareness creation, also just for 
education on the rights of these widows because most of them enter into marriages without knowing. You start looking for your ID the day your husband dies mm-hmm. or you start getting to understand what your husband has been doing the day he dies. So sensitization is a big thing for us because our resources are very limited as a department. But we have officers on trained on, on social work. So we capitalize on sensitization and we partner with organizations such as Mungana Network, who is also very keen on promoting the, the welfare of widows. So we, we rely very heavily on, on, on those partners. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you feel you need either to clarify, emphasize mm. on? Yeah, I just, I'm just concerned about the, the population of widows in Sierra. Mm-hmm. To look bad that we we don't have it. I have it somewhere probably. I don't know how we will do that. I think that's all. Okay. Mm. Okay. So uh, we we meet them here on a day to day basis. They come here. Recently, there was one that Rona is following right now. Uh, apart from being a widow, she also has no capacity because she's bedridden and she's blind and. Uh, you know, these people go to a house every day, they break a window, they break this thing and that. And the guy who is following is one of the brothers who is now trying to help her. And they've had to take her to some safe place where she she, she can be looked after because she can not even look after herself. So as much as we, we are talking about uh, creating safe spaces for... It's also gender-based violence, so we, we cannot deny that. So one of our dreams is to probably create a safe house when the, the resources become available mm-hmm. for women who are in distress, particularly after the, the death of a husband. And uh, during our awareness creation and sensitization, we try to tell young wives to be aware of, of, of what could happen if mm-hmm. a husband dies, so that uh, uh, they become enlightened or what, what are the sources of support, uh, what does the husband have, uh, who, whose name is the property in, so that uh, we do not fire fight before that, but they get empowered before then and just participate actively in the acquisition of property and the protection of that property way before mm-hmm. a death occurs. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's so annoying that as a, as a woman, mm. you really have to fight for your space even when your husband dies. Yeah. But when you go, when you die and your husband remains, he never struggles. No. Like it's automatic for him to inherit whatever he yes. had. without or, a battle. Yes, mm. but you have to struggle. Mm. And those are the issues of gender equality that we were talking about, especially in there. Uh, we, we have a gender equality and women empowerment policy also, which is still awaiting activation. But those are some of the issues that we are talking about. Why is it that uh, it becomes twice as hard for you to just transition into widowhood uh, than it is for a man to transition into widowhood? Yeah. So those balances are the things that we, we, we are trying to harmonize. Uh, it's not a walk in the park, and uh, it's still a long way to go. Yeah, still a long way to go. But there is intention, there is will, and it's a concern. And we are grateful for uh, partners who are really driving the process. Mm-hmm. Mm, they are very aggressive. Like uh, We now have somebody helping us, uh, in, uh, a legal person helping us to just 
design mm. and craft something that will be specific to the situation of widows. Okay. Yeah. So probably my last question is then, how many cases mm. could you maybe working with together with partners mm. regard to the widows, the cases that you are aware of and maybe following up together with the partners? Right now, I'm aware of five cases that, that are. Have come. And all the inheritance and yes, inheritance or disinheritance. They are being disinherited from uh, their property. And so, as the widows mark this day, one thing remains to be addressed: ending all forms of violence against them. And what's your message for the widows today? Uh, for the widows today. Um, the first message for the widows, the Christian widows, um, I just want to remind them that the Bible says that um, the Lord is a husband to the widows. And I always say that um, with that, I don't have the best husband in the world who's watching over me 24-7. We go a lot through, uh, through a lot of challenges, but that reminder keeps keeping me alive and bright and focused, knowing that I will never fail. So as much as, yes, we go through many challenges, somehow we get through them one day at a time. So that's my message. The Lord is your husband. Wherever you are, um, just be strong, knowing that tomorrow we'll offer you or we'll have better offerings for you. <laughs>